The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Holy Spirit would be the one to come and to lead us into truth and to guide us. And so we want to ask that God's Spirit would allow us to understand His Word, the truth that's in it, and for it to be able to guide our lives, not just be a Sunday morning thing that we just hear. We're like, well, that was cool. I took a couple notes on it, but actually something that comes into our heart and produces fruit in our life. And as much as we try, as much as we give effort, as much as we do all these things, the reality is that the only way that that's possible is from the Holy Spirit working in our life. It's through God's strength, not our own strength. And so, Father, we thank you right now for your goodness to us, and I pray that you would help us to not only hear the word, God, but to become doers of it. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, let our distractions, Lord, just be swept away right now. Lord, let us be able to tune in with our thoughts and our mind, Lord, completely and fully into what you have for us this morning. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, I'm going to jump in, and today we're talking about finding joy. And, you know, I say finding joy because joy seems to be something that doesn't just come. You don't just wake up in the morning all the time, and you just have joy sitting on you. It seems like oftentimes we wake up, and we face the day, and we have struggles or discouragements. We get out of bed, and the first thought in our mind isn't, wow, I'm excited for today. The first thought in our mind is, wow, I'm tired. Oh, I can barely get out of bed. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, the kids are already making a mess. Oh, I'm never going to get them to school. That's coming up soon. Getting kids up, getting them dressed, pushing them off to school again, just to scare you moms for just a minute. But we only got about four more weeks of not worrying about that. But all these things happen even the minute that we wake up. We go through our day. We are busy. We get all this stuff done. The end of the day comes. We go to bed, we lay our head on our pillow, and what floods our mind? It's not usually just joy. I lay my head down, and oh, I can't wait to put my head on my pillow, because that's when all the joy floods in. All the happy memories of the day, my successes, the good things of God. What usually happens when we put our head on our pillow is that the stresses and the worries of life start to come in. Oh, that bill I've got to pay. Oh, I forgot to call this person today. Oh, that person's probably going to still be mad at me tomorrow because of what happened earlier. And our mind begins to fill with these things. So joy is something that is not natural for us. Joy is something that we actually have to put effort in and go find, and we have to seek it out in order to get it. Because joy comes from the Lord, and the Bible says that if you seek me, right, with all of your heart, you will find me. And because... God is the one that holds joy, then by default, joy is something we have to go and find. 
It's like when you go somewhere with your kids. You walk in to the store or you walk into the amusement park or you go somewhere, and who has the money? Mom and dad. And so if you get lost for long, you can be sure if it's a place that costs money, like the arcade if you've been to spare time or somewhere and they need money, you don't have to worry about finding your kids. Because when they run out of money, they will come and find you. Every time. They will hunt you down. It doesn't matter if you hide. You can go in the bathroom, get in the stall, close the thing, lock the door, sit back, turn Netflix on on your phone, pretend like you're actually going to the bathroom. You can sit in there, and eventually your kids will find you. And they'll knock on that little bathroom door. Dad, is that you? Mm Mm-mm. Looks like your shoes. Mm Mm-mm. I think it is. Mm Mm-mm. Can I have some money? Just take it and get out of here. Leave me alone. But they will find you. Well, God works like that. God takes things that he knows that we need, that make our life better, that we want, and he doesn't just hand them to us. He puts them in his pocket, and he says, if you want it, come and get me. Because he wants us to come to him and to be with him. God is relational, not transactional. God didn't come here in order to give you freedom, in order to give you salvation, so that you can be upon your merry way. The whole point of the cross, the whole point of God coming and delivering you from your sins, delivering you from bondage, and bringing freedom to your life, and bringing reconciliation between you and Him, is to return things to the way that he originally created and designed them. And Genesis tells us that every single day, God would come down into the Garden of Eden and walk in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. It was relational. We don't have a God that created heaven and earth and, and just disappeared. We don't have a God that would be just having babies and then setting them aside and walking off, saying, well, I hope they, they're okay. God is intimately interested in every aspect, not only of your life, but of you. And there's a difference. My life has work. My life has church. My life has finances. My life has health. All these things that God's interested in. But at the end of the day, regardless of where my finances are, regardless of where my health is at, regardless of where my relationships are, God wants to know me. He wants to talk to me. If I got hit by a car tomorrow and I wind up in a wheelchair and I can move nothing but my head, God is still interested in me. He wants to be with me. He wants to know me. And so God has created things in a way that in order to have the things that he has promised in life, as we read the word, we have to come to him in relationship. And so remember that God is relational, not transactional. He's not looking to just give you joy. He's looking to do joy with you. Come on, let's go. We're going to have a good time. Come on, let's go. We're going to do this together. And that's what he's after. So Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. My kids, Krista and Alicia, we used to play hide and go seek. I did it with the other ones too, but 
they're smart now. They both manage at their jobs, they're managers, intelligent, little geniuses. But when they were little, they were not that smart. And I had worries as a dad. <laughs> What's going to happen when they get old enough? And I would just pray at night, God, please make them smart. <laughs> Help them. Because we would play hide-and-go-seek, and I would say, ready, go hide. And I would be standing here in the living room or at the kitchen counter. I'd say, okay, go hide. And they would literally go this far from me, and they would grab a blanket and throw it on themselves and lay there in the middle of the floor. And think that I literally can't find them. And they're wiggling and giggling, and the whole blanket's moving around. It's a big lump in the floor. And I would stand there, where are you? I can't find you. <laughs> you hear me another talking, Dad's so dumb. <laughs> Dad's so dumb, he's not very smart. And they're under there. Now, as a smart dad, sometimes it took me a very long time to find them. Because that blanket's a great babysitter. I say, okay, I'm going to come find you. And I go in and click on a basketball game or a football game, and I'll be watching that for an hour. Pretty soon I come out, and they're still there. I lift up the blanket, and they're asleep. Perfect. <laughs> Praise God for hide-and-go-seek with the blanket. They just put themselves to bed like that. But if I really wanted to find them, if my heart was into finding them, if I actually wanted to interact with them, it wasn't hard. It was easy. That's what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about if you seek God with all your heart because he is so hidden, he is so secretive, he has tucked himself away so far that no matter how hard you look, you might spend your whole life trying to find him. Because you got to see, he's like National Treasure, that movie. You got to go find the secrets. Indiana Jones, all these movies where you got to go find God. I got to decipher the code. I got to understand how to do it. I got to get all the clues. I got to really seek him out and find him. And it's so hard. And you come to church and you look around and say, man, that person looks like they found God, but I don't know how to find him. That's not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is when you seek him with all your heart. In other words, when you want to find him. When your heart is in it. You ever done something with somebody and you realize that yeah, their heart's not in it? You know? Doing work with somebody and you get to the job and you're working and you're working hard and you care and the other person doesn't do their side jobs. They don't seem to care. They don't clean up. You're like, yeah, their heart's not in it. Hired an employee and they're all excited on the first day. The second day they show up late already. They're not doing a good job. And you're like, no, their heart's not in this. You can tell right away if somebody's heart isn't in it. And so what God has said is, I'm hiding right here in plain sight. And if your heart is in it, if you want to find me, all you got to do is come get me. And he has joy for us. So we're going to continue to read and find out what that actually looks like. Because oftentimes our heart is not in it. Oftentimes what we want to do is find the answer the way that we want it to be. I want to figure out how to get healthier. So I'm online searching. I spent five hours yesterday online searching about how to get healthier. Well, if your heart was in it, you'd have spent five minutes driving to the gym. 
Because you already know the answer. You already know that the answer means going and working. You already know the answer means doing X, Y, or Z. But you're not doing that. You think you're searching, or I think I'm searching, because I'm online looking for an answer. But I'm online looking for an answer that's so hard to find because I'm not looking for the right answer. I'm looking for my answer. And if I can find my answer, I'll be happy. And until then, I'm searching. So did you find joy? Man, I am looking. Well, have you looked where God's got it for you? Well, I'll try that later. <laughs> right now, I'm looking. I'm ordering some more stuff on Amazon because I probably just need to buy a few more things to put in my garage. You know, I just need another outfit. I just need this. I just need that. I just, I'm going to find it. So that's what we do. So Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. This is in your bulletin. If you have that to read along, but this is the NIV version if you want to follow along in your own Bible or phone. Uh, but it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What God's telling us is that when you look for what you're trying to find, it isn't going to look like what you want to find. It'll be there. But it isn't going to look like what you think it looks like because I think differently than you. And so it's going to look different. It's going to be designed different. And so we have to get our thoughts lined up with who God is and how God thinks. So we're going to dive right now into the specifics of joy and how to find it, Hebrews 1.9. And we're going to see what it looks like to God. It says, talking about Jesus right now in, verse, in Hebrews 1.9, it says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is a prophecy that came out of Isaiah far back in the Bible, but now it's been fulfilled in Jesus. We're talking about it. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God your God. In other words, the Father God has set Jesus above his companions. It says, by anointing him with the oil of joy. He hated wickedness, he loved righteousness, and God said, you know what, I'm going to anoint you with the oil of joy more than your companions. In other words, it wasn't being found because I was seeking pleasure and fulfillment and joy. It was being found because I aligned my values up with God's values, and I rejected and hated sin, things that hurt God and hurt others, and I loved righteousness. I loved to live the way that God wanted me to live. And the result of that was joy. Joy came in. Nothing else could happen out of that. Just like if you eat nothing but fatty foods every day for the next six months, nothing can happen out of that except for bad arteries, high blood pressure, weight gain, and possibly a heart attack. That's all that can happen. There isn't a, another result. If I plant an apple seed, the only thing growing from that's an apple tree, period. That's it. And so there's certain things that when this takes place, this is the result. And he's saying that because you loved righteousness, you hated wickedness, you loved my ways, not the world's ways, not doing wrong things. The result was that joy came in more than your companions. Now here's the thing. When the Bible talks about loving something like this or hating something like this, it's not talking about a political ideology. It's not talking about loving or hating 
in theory. It's not talking about posting it and letting people know this is what I think about this or think about that. What it's talking about is something in you that actually forces you to take action. Before my wife and I got married, the worst thing in my life that I hated, I hated it, was dropping her off back at home at the end of the day. Drive her out to Clackamas from Portland where I lived, so I'd picked her up for the day to go on a date. We'd drive out, and there's this windy, curvy road that took you out to her house kind of out in the country. And I would drop her off, and the whole ride out, I'd just be getting more and more frustrated. And then I would let her out of the car, and I would drive off, and I would feel literally like part of myself had been ripped out and just left there. And I hated that feeling. And so what did I do? It compelled me to take action. And the action that got taken was, I said, let's get married. I don't want to leave you here anymore. You don't belong here. You belong with me. And so we got married. But it forced me to take action because I couldn't live with things the way that they were. And so when we love something so much and hate the alternative so much, what happens is that in our heart, we are forced to take an action to remedy that situation. That's what Jesus did. He hated wickedness so much, and he loved righteousness, which is God's will, God's desire, God's way of doing things, and part of that is reconciliation with mankind and a loving, intimate relationship with us as humans, his creation, that it moved him so much inside that it compelled him to take action, and he came down and walked the earth as Jesus. And then he loved on people, and he healed people, and he helped people, and he encouraged people. And then he gave his life to bring restoration because that tension inside of hating wickedness and loving righteousness said, I have to do something about it. Not just think about it. Not just talk about it. I got to do something about it. And he's our model. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. I don't know what sin easily entangles you, but we've all got something that will grab us if it can. It'll get us. It might be worry. It might be gossip. It might be, uh, you know, addiction to something, food, shopping, drugs. It might be anger. It might be an old bitterness but something that grabs you. You think you're running along, all of a sudden you're, you're just tangled. He says, let's throw that off. Be aware of it. Get rid of it. Stay away from it. And it says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Now here we're back to joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him. So in other words, he wanted joy over there, and he's over here, 
And to get to joy, he has to go through something because it's before him. He has to move towards it, and he has to grab a hold of it. And so he had to go seek and find it. He had to walk over and pick it up. And he had to go and get it. Where was it? He endured the cross. When he walked over and he looks and he says, joy is here, in order to get to the joy, he had to go through the cross. Joy covered with the blanket. Covered with something that you don't really want to pick up. I don't know if I really want to look under there. I don't know if I really want that answer. In fact, when he was in the garden before he went to the cross, he prayed and he said, Father, if there's any other way, take this from me. But not my will, but yours be done. In other words, I don't want to get joy by going through a cross. I just want to get it because I put my hand out and I asked for it. But he sends him to the cross. Isaiah 53 this is hundreds of years before Jesus, since the prophecy of what would happen to him on the cross, and then it was fulfilled when he was here. Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now we're talking about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, now, this is the same one that's anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions. But a man of suffering, the Bible says, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. In other words, he was taking on our sin and our problems and our issues in order to get through all of that and we blamed him for it. Well, you're being punished. You're going through a hard time. It's your fault. It's because of something you did. No, he was getting into our mess and taking on the punishment of our sin in order to get us unburied from it so that he could bring us out of the grave because we were dead in our sins. And so he came and did this. This is Jesus at work. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, that sin, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? In other words, nobody said, don't do that. They said, let him, let him go. And it goes on to continue laying out the end as he walks through the cross. It says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. In other words, this won't be the end. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. He will live, even though he's going through this. It says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Satisfied of what? Well, he said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
he will be satisfied. The joy, the mission, what he's after, the promise, it will come. After the cross, it'll come. It'll be there. Well, what does that have to do with us? So Jesus did that. It's done. It's been paid. So he did all of that. Joy is there now. So shouldn't we just be able to go get it? He already paid for it. It's already done. Well, that would be nice, but it's not how it works. Matthew 10, 38 to 39. This is Jesus himself talking before he went to the cross. He's giving us ideas of what's going to happen. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What he's saying here is that he has a cross to bear, and it takes him towards God's purpose and plan. It takes him towards relationship. It takes him towards the joy set before him. But we have a cross to bear. Well, I thought I'm saved because of Jesus' cross. Well, you are. But you will not experience the joy set before you until you carry your own cross. Jesus modeled what we also needed to do. Well, what does that mean? Well, the rest of the verse tells that. It says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There has to be a death within your mind and within your heart to your own desires to your own selfishness, your own self-centeredness, your own way of doing things, your own need to, I need it for me. I need to fix me. I want my stuff. I want it to be better. I want to be happy. I want to be... There has to be a death to a self-focused life. Because the message of the cross is not a selfie life. It's a selfless one. It isn't about you. It's about him and it's about others. Jesus said that he gives these two commandments, the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in order to do either one of those, we have to have a death to our own way of doing things. We have to let go our desire to be number one in our own life. So we have to pick up our cross. The other thing about the cross is that the cross of Christ was for others. Just in picking it up, two things were happening. One, his own will and his own comfort was dying. And two, other people's bondages, other people's struggles, other people's mistakes, other people's sins, other people's problems were being taken up on his back. It was a death to self, and it was embracing serving others, putting others before himself. Both of those things were happening at the same time. So for us to pick up our cross means that we have to be willing to have a death to the desire to be number one in our own life where life is about me. And we have to be willing to pick up the burdens and the challenges and the struggles of others. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, all about love. It's a chapter that explains God's definition of love. And right in the beginning, it says, bear one another's burdens. It's coming and lifting others up. And so God's hidden it right there. 
And if you've been following the Lord, you know at times that God has put on your heart, just like mine. Do this. Go serve that person. Go help in this area. Go give that. That person's discouraged. Go pick them up. And then our own mind comes in and says, oh, I don't want to get healthy in the gym. I want to get healthy on Amazon. There's got to be an easier way, Lord. I'll do a couple extra worship songs today. I'll read an extra verse. I'll, I'll wear a special Jesus shirt. I'll do something. But I don't want to do that because that will take up my whole Saturday. If I give that money, Lord, then I won't have the money for that new thing I was going to buy. Lord, if I go spend time with them and listen to their discouragement, there's a chance that I might leave discouraged. Right? But there's a time to mourn with others. There's a time to grieve with others. There's a time to feel others' pain and to lift them up. There's a time to get into their struggle and to be a part of that. And in that, we find joy. Because his ways are different than ours. His thoughts are different than ours. But what we like to do, and I've been guilty of this too, but what we like to do, even if we uncover and we pull it out, say, oh, I got it, here we go. Okay, I got the cross, Lord. I got the cross. I know that's where joy comes from. But the cross that we pick up is a cross that we put in our pocket. I got my Jesus. Oh, Jesus has changed my life. Oh, I live different. I've given up my sin. I, when I have a struggle, I talk to Jesus and I pray to Jesus. That's the kind of cross that I picked up. That's not the kind of cross that Jesus picked up. The kind of cross that Jesus picked up was heavy. He had to hoist it on his back and try to drag it along. It was a burden. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was self-denial, self-sacrifice for others. Joy was on the other side of that. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the joy that you're looking for, that I'm looking for, joy that I have, doesn't come through the normal ways that we think. If I had one more vacation, oh, if I could just get a little bit more time to watch that series, oh, if I could just get one more thing. This idea that I just, oh, I just need more of a break. The problem with that is that most of us, in all reality, need less of a break, not more of a break. And I know you might be busy. I know your life might be hard. Mine's busy. Mine's hard. But we're not talking about the way that we think. We're talking about the way that God thinks. Proverbs says that those who water others will be watered. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. The Bible says give. It'll come back to you. Press down, shake together, running over. The Bible's clear. From the beginning of it to the end of it, it's clear that we get refreshed and built up and encouraged and we find joy over here not in here, because I'm trying to satisfy myself. It is a radically different way to view life. And if you've given your life to Jesus, and you've embraced the cross for your sins, but you have not embraced 
Jesus' call to carry your own cross and to realize that my life is no longer my own. It's about laying it down for him and for others. Then you will run the rest of your life trying to find joy. You will never find it. But the more you give your life, the more you lift that blanket and look on it and say, God, I don't like how this looks. Oh, I don't like it. I don't want to do that. For me, you guys know I've shared, man, I was, had a huge social anxieties. People came to my house, man, I literally was in my closet hiding behind the clothes with the door shut, literally. I didn't like people. Not only was I anxious of them, I just didn't like them. And God said, do you know the way to joy? Follows people. So I don't want to go that way. I had a choice. Do I want to pick up and follow him and start serving and loving people? Or do I want to stay trying to do it my way, which was pushing me farther and farther into isolation, frustration, and stress? God's answer for you is on the other side of laying down your own desires and picking up the burdens of others. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. Makes no sense on paper. Doesn't matter. It's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When you put your faith in God and say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, you watch your life will begin to change. Joy will start to come in. Stresses and anxieties and worries will start to come off of your life. And then you'll look across the room at your spouse if you're married, or you'll just be on a walk by yourself if you're not, or whatever the case is, and you'll think, I do not understand. My evenings are tied up. My money's given away. People are dumping problems on me. And I got joy. How did that change? It changed because you trusted God with your problems and you just gave yourself to him and what he wanted to do in the lives of others. And you can trust that God will pick up what you give up and he'll take care of you. Let's bow our heads. We'll close our eyes. We're going to pray. Father, I just pray right now, God, you will help us, Lord, with this message, Father. God, your word is so contrary to how we think. God, it is so radically different than how we just see life. God, we need your eyes. God, we need your thoughts on the things that we are looking at. Lord, help us by your spirit, God, to begin to, Lord, take off, Lord, our own perspectives and our own mindsets and our own glasses that we look through, Lord, and just to set them down, Lord, God, and to pick up yours. God, the prescription some of us have been wearing, God, is a prescription that we think helps us see better, Lord, but it's what's giving us the migraines. That's what's causing the pain. But, Lord, your prescription, Father, Lord, it brings clarity. God, it brings, Lord, the ability to see things as they are and the, as they're supposed to be. God, and as we live that way, Lord, the joy of the Lord will come. God, Lord, we want to find joy. Lord, it's in front of us. Give us the strength and the courage and the grace, Father, and the courage, God, just to lift it up. 
and embrace it. Lord, and to live as you've called us to live. God, we need your spirit to do that. We cannot do it on our own. We thank you for it, God. We thank you that you're with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for being here. I will tell you a couple things. One is if you uh, want to get involved uh, in this outreach that Jenna was talking about, there's a sign-up out there. We still need barbecuers. We need set-up. We need tear-down people. Uh, we are also doing the handing out all the school supplies. It's at a low-income apartment. We're going to hand out school supplies. Now, I committed to hand out school supplies, and the only thing that I have is like three dry erase markers on my desk at home. So I got to get them. So I'm planning on getting some of them, and I'm planning on you guys getting some of them. So next Sunday, bring whatever school supplies that you can and just bring them. We're just going to pass them out to kids. That's backpacks, that's uh, pens, pencils, papers, notebooks. Whatever you have to bring, just bring it. Uh, a couple boxes of fruit snacks. A kid can trade those probably for a backpack. I mean, that's how kids work. Whatever. Just bring stuff so that we can go give it out. And if you have time and want to serve at that outreach, just sign up. It's on the table right out front. I love you guys. Thanks for being here. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.